0: Thank you, Judy, for that beautiful organ prelude by Johannes Brahms. Mein Jesus, der du mich. And that leaves me up in the air, my knowledge of German. It needs a verb, so I'm going to say, Mein Jesus, der du mich liebst. That'll work. My God who loves me. Um, Would you stand with me, please, for the call to worship? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You. And over all these virtues, put on love. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let's pray together, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, not only that you love us, but that you are a God who is with us through all of the trials of life. We've read about many of them that people in our own country and abroad are facing over the past week. We thank you that you are with us through everything. We pray that you will be especially with us this morning as we worship you, as we hear your word. Guide our thoughts, guide our hearts, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.
1: It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Let me invite you to take a few moments to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. I want to mention uh, one thing in, the, in your bulletin. Uh, we are two weeks away from the beginning of our ninth uh, prayer vigil of three weeks of 24-7 prayer. And for those of you who have been here around a little while, you hopefully have participated in that. If you have not been here, in past years, this is an opportunity for you to engage either yourself, your family. Uh, people come in all kinds of groupings as well as individually uh, to, uh, to come be a part of that. We are hoping to have the reservations starting today, but we're having a little glitch with the website. And, but I think we are getting that fixed, so at least by next Sunday, we will have sign-ups ready to go. And probably even during the week as well, if you want to check the, the church website. So we hope you'll be a part of that. Our theme this year is I Have Loved You. Uh, from the prophet Malachi, God's word to us. Uh, and the second part of that is Seek Me and Live, from the prophet Amos. And so we are coming to God, seeking Him because He loves us. And that's the theme of uh, our prayer time this year.
2: Good morning. My name is Addie Silbert, or as some of you or your kids better know me, the ice cream lady. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to take a few minutes this morning and talk to you about a ministry that we are trying to initiate through Partners at Home. It's called Celebrate Recovery, which is the largest Christ-centered recovery program. Over three and a half million people have worked through the program in over 29,000 churches. Typically, when people hear the word recovery, their first thought goes to drugs and alcohol. Only one out of three people attending Celebrate Recovery are there because of substance abuse. Celebrate Recovery encompasses all types of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's a recovery program for anger, gambling, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, alcoholism, abuse, codependency, drug addiction, and the list goes on and on. Celebrate Recovery is a safe place, a refuge, a place of belonging, a place to care for others and be cared for, where respect is given to each member, where confidentiality is highly regarded, a place to learn, to grow and become strong again, where you can take off your mask, a place for healthy challenges and healthy risks, a possible turning point in your life. It is not a place for selfish control, therapy, a place for secrets, a place to look for dating relationships, a place to rescue or be rescued by others, a place of perfection, a long-term commitment, a place to judge others or a quick fix. So how is AA and other 12-step programs different from Celebrate Recovery? The principal difference between AA and other programs in Celebrate Recovery is that Celebrate Recovery focuses on Jesus Christ as the true higher power. He uses God's word as its guide, and there is a large group worship time to help connect with God and prepare for the message of the Christ-centered recovery. Celebrate Recovery's eight principles, written by Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, intersect perfect- perfectly with the 12 steps by connecting the core principles of recovery to Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. Currently, there are no Celebrate Recovery groups north of SIO until you reach Buffalo or Rochester. I had the opportunity to attend one of the meetings in York's corners and discovered there are people driving from beyond Fillmore to attend. With the growing opioid epidemic, as well as our own hurting and surrounding communities, we see this as a vital ministry, but we need willing volunteers to get this off the ground. There's an insert in your bulletin regarding an informational meeting this Tuesday, the 17th. We'd love to see you there to learn more about this ministry. Thank you for your time.
0: Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning uh, is selected verses from the book of Micah beginning with verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. Attention! Let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and flow into the valleys like wax in a fire, like water pouring down a hill. And why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel. Yes, the sins of the whole nation, Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, its capital. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf." The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed For he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams, and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Where is another God like you, Who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love, as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology. Father, you have given us so much. Even when we think we have little, we see you multiply it, and we count on you to do that with our tithes and offerings this morning. Help us to be generous, Lord, not only in our giving of money, but in the giving of ourselves to others. Help us to spread your love. In your name, amen. Amen.
3: The place that we're made for Just beyond what we have known In a realm still yet unseen Still yet unseen There's a place Where all is right No more dark There's only light The things of earth Grow strangely dim Strangely dim On the earth as it is Abounds. Hopes restored and joy abounds with shouts of praise, the only sound. of
1: of answering that prayer, praying for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, is um, to recognize our need for God in our lives individually and corporately. And so I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin, this prayer that uh, acknowledges our need for God. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, our sin is ever before us, an unkind word, jealous spirit, a harsh reply, a twisted truth, an apathetic response, an unrealistic expectation, a sinful choice. Set us free from the insecurities that drive us and forgive us for the self-centered ways in which we too often live. Let us hear once again your words of pardon. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Father, we thank you that when we confess our sins, you forgive us. And you cleanse us. We come to this time of worship today recognizing that you are the great God and that we are not. We come recognizing that we need you. And as we have confessed our sin and need, we also offer our prayers of petition, intercession, because of need. We pray today for this world in which we live. We pray for refugees who often have no safe place to lay their heads pray that you would open the doors for them to return home in safety and security. We pray for uh, for all the places where war and violence and threats of war are prevalent in everyday life. We pray for our brothers and sisters who suffer persecution for you, particularly today we pray for Christians in North Korea, where believers are isolated and under surveillance and forced to meet in secrecy. Thousands in prison, work camps, hundreds of thousands have died. We ask, Father, that you will you will keep them safe, that you will protect them, that you will open doors for them to to serve you publicly and and to to be able to influence their world for you. Father, we pray that as we pray for them, their lives, their witness would inspire us. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Ten Three in Africa as they provide biblically sound education. And we pray, Father, that you would bless their teachers. We pray that you will continue to use... The uh, the mode of computer technology to open doors and and to speak into people's lives, even as they are training them and helping them. We pray, Father, that you will particularly bless the patrolos and the Szymanskis as they work here for the operations there. We pray that you would help them with the financial needs they have, and that they would know your grace and your help throughout all of their work. And Father, we. We pray for needs a bit closer to home. We think of the people in Puerto Rico and in Mexico and the Gulf Coast who have endured hurricanes and, and earthquakes. And we ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring the necessary supplies and help. And again, that your people would be a a presence of hope. We pray for the people who are struggling with the wildfires in California. It's It's just... Gut wrenching to see all the devastation and continued threats. People's lives have been lost, and possessions have been lost, and homes and security. And we pray, Father, that you would bring an end and help the the firefighters be able to contain the blazes and to to bring an end to it, and that you would protect the people who are there. We pray, Father, for the people who are grieving and. And recovering from the shooting in Las Vegas. In all of these situations, may your church be prevalent and present as a ministry of hope and healing. Father, we pray for our church here and the ministries of this church. We thank you for this uh, new program of Celebrate Recovery. and We ask that you would help Addie and those who help her to, to sense you leading and guiding them. We pray that this will be a help to us as a community and beyond, as we recognize the brokenness of our lives and our world and work to bring your hope. And we pray for churches around us. Today we pray for the Joy Community Church in Machias and Pastor John Gallegos. May your spirit rest upon this body of believers as they worship you today and as they go out from worship, that they would impact their community and beyond. Father, thank you that you hear our prayers. We offer this prayer to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. the want to teaches us his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
3: Brothers, let us come together, walking in the Spirit. There's much to be done. We will come reaching out from our comforts, and they will know us by our love. Sisters, we were made for kindness. We can pierce the darkness as He shines through us. We will come reaching with a song of healing, and they will know us by our love. The time. justice. Stand firm in the truth now. Set your heart
0: Stand with me in the tradition of the church for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. Children will now be dismissed for Children's Church.
1: be seated. You probably have had the, uh, the experience of forgetting something. We all struggle with that, don't we? You know, I, I the times where you think, um, okay, where was I supposed to be? When was I supposed to be there? Um, walking into a room and Trying to remember why you got you were in there and what you went to get. My mother used to always say, just go back, retrace your steps, and it'll come back to you. And I've done a lot of retracing through the through the years. One of the most dangerous things for us to forget is when we forget who we are. When we forget that as followers of Jesus, we are God's people. And the reason why it is so imperative for us to remember that we're God's people is not just because of our own relationship with God, but because Scripture tells us over and over and over again that the primary means by which everybody else knows who God is is through the lives of his people. It is what God says to Abraham when he starts out on the journey. I'm going to bless the world through you. It's what he says to Israel is why he calls them out to be his people so they will be a light to the nations. It is what Jesus tells the disciples that those who follow him, you you are to go and preach the gospel, live the life of following me so that everyone else can see what God is like and want to follow him too. And when we forget that, we're in trouble. There are lots of things going on in the prophecy of Micah. We read just little bits and pieces of it this morning. It just would take too long to read all of it. And, and you, we can't talk about all that's there. But it struck me as I was thinking through this, this prophecy and, and and reading this prophecy over and over again that there is in this prophecy maybe at the heart of this prophecy this sense that Israel and Judah have forgotten that they're God's people and the consequences are monumental he begins the prophecy by talking about how he's addressing Judah and Israel these, these nations that divided the nation of Israel that divided and they're his people but he addresses it he says nations the world nations of the world Pay attention. Listen. When you get to chapter 4, there is this glorious declaration of what's going to happen on the day of the Lord. And how God is going to bless his people. And part of that declaration is people will come from all the nations because they have seen who God is. And Israel and Judah have forgotten. They look just like everybody else. They, the nations operate, The nation, they, both these nations operate along the same principles as all the nations around them. They bribe judges to get what they want. There is violence and oppression. They steal the homes of people because they can. They They, they manipulate and, and abuse their workers because they can. They have power. They have wealth. They have influence. They have all the advantages and they take advantage of the people who don't have them. Everything honestly, looks the same. They are acting just like everyone else. There is nothing different, nothing special. There is nothing about Judah and Israel that would cause the other nations to say, well, that's different. We need to check that out. Instead, they look at them and say, they're no different than we are. Why would we want to pay any attention to their God? And so Micah has this very direct proclamation about God's people. Reminds us how dangerous it is to forget not only who we are, but what God has done for us. In chapter six, we have this court case. This is, you know, Perry Mason uh, law and order. Come to come to the scriptures. And God says, fine, you want to argue with me? Let's have a court case. Let's just let's just lay it out. The mountains and, and the hills, you'll be the judge. And and Israel, you come, tell me what's wrong with me. You lay your case out before me. And you get, here's just the first half of verse 1. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witness your complaints. And I think there probably should be a gap in there because they bring their complaints. And the next thing you read is, and now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. I've got something to say, too. Because he has a case against his people, charges against Israel, and he says to them, here, "Here's his accusation. Here's his question." In verse three, he says, "My people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Come on, answer me." You can see him, you know, in the old Perry Mason show, standing there. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? What have I done for you? And so before they answer, he answers the question for him, for them. And he says, here's what I've done for you. Let me tell you what I've done for you. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? How Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? Remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness? That's what I've done for you. It is important to remember what God has done for us. Something about remembering God's blessings to us helps get us get our perspective back. It's one of the reasons why it's I think it's important for us to remember the church around the world every week, particularly the persecuted church. Not only to pray for them and to love them and to support them, but also to be reminded of the blessings that we have. And what is Israel's response you're right, God. Wow, we have just totally forgotten. We're so sorry. Forgive us. I think the response is pretty sarcastic. They say to him, okay, fine, what do you want from us? What do you want us to do? You want us to bring more sacrifices? Fine, we'll bring more sacrifices. You want us to bring the very best calves of our flock? Okay, fine, we'll bring the best calves of our flock. And here's where it gets, the sarcasm raises another level. and said, I'll tell you what, why, why don't we just bring a thousand rams? We'll just, we'll just bring all the rams we can find. And that's not enough. We'll bring a thousand rivers of olive oil. How's that? Will that make you happy? Oh, I, I know. Why don't we bring you our firstborn child? We'll sacrifice the children. You can, you can hear the sarcasm in their voice. And if it were me, I would say, Really? That's how you want to respond? Okay. I've got something I can say to you back. I can do some things. But God doesn't. Always gracious. And he says to them, look, folks, you know what I want from you. He says, you know what's good. You know what's right. You know what I'm asking of you. You know what it means to be my people. I've written it across the law. I've, it's in the mouths of the prophets. It's in the, it's in the poetry of, of the scriptures. It's in the, it's in the writings of my people through the ages. You know what, what I want from you. You know what I seek. And that word requires, it can also be translated to seek. In fact, Amos uses it in chapter 5 to talk to his people to say, seek God and live. Seek love, not evil. Seek good, not evil. And he says, seek, this is passion. This isn't the kind of seeking where you just sort of give a cursory glance and say, well, that wasn't that important anyway, and walk on. This is the kind of seeking for that that precious heirloom that's been passed down for generations. Great sentimental value, great worth, and you've lost it. And you dig up every room in the house trying to find it. And God says, this is how much I want this for you. I am seeking this for you. It's my passion for you. And I want it to be your passion for me. And what does he require? What does he seek? What's this? What, what, what is he asking of them that he's been telling them all along? He says, I want you to do justice. Act justly. Do what's right. And love Mercy. These two things that are really two sides of the same coin are things God has been talking about from the beginning. The, the word that, that Micah uses here to do justice, to act justly, it's a word that's used in the creation story. It's not the word bara that is uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that he made things out of nothing. But it's the word that's basically used the rest of the time that God creates things. God made this, God made that, God made that, God made this. God made the heavens and the earth, God made the moon and the sun, God made the stars. God made the light and the dark. God made the grass and the flowers. God made the trees. God made the animals, God made human beings. It is, there is a creative nature to this. And it strikes me that when we talk about justice, when we talk about being people who do justice, it's not just responding to things, but it's creating an atmosphere of justice. It is creating an atmosphere of, of, of good, of being a presence that, that people want around And of course, that also is a part of loving mercy. There is this passion, this desire for mercy that we want, that our first option, our first thought is not judgment, but mercy. It's not holding grudges, it's forgiveness. And we don't do it begrudgingly, we love it. We are passionate about it. Nothing makes us happier than to to give mercy to people, than to forgive people. And to be kind to people. I love that song we just sang. We were made for kindness. That's a powerful thing to say. I think it's true. We were made to be people who create justice and love mercy. We we are the kind of people that when we step into a situation and then step out of it, what we leave is something beautiful. Something good. It is impossible to be to not care to, to to ignore justice and create beauty. Injustice and beauty are opposites of one another. Our calling is to create something beautiful in the midst of injustice. To be a presence of, of love and joy and hope in the midst of despair and pain and And heartache. In a world that looks an awful lot like the world that Micah describes in Judah and Israel. We're called to be a presence that makes a difference. Always looking for ways to bring Christ. To bring hope. To bring mercy and love and kindness into people's lives and into situations. Now I think we tend to think of that as doing big things. We're going, to, we're going to bring an end to human trafficking. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to bring an end to the persecution of, of Christians. We're going to bring an end to, to the whole problem of refugees. and And we certainly want to work for those big things. But I have come to believe that before God calls us to big things, he wants to see what we do with the little things. It doesn't make any sense that we would ignore... Issues and people right around us. And then God would call us to solve big world problems. Because if we don't care about the people and the situations in our lives right now, do we really care about the situations of people in a much bigger scope? We care about those things. We want to work at those things. We want to bring, we want to bring hope and healing in those things. But it starts with everyday life, your life, my life, at work, at home, with our neighbors, in the store, wherever we go. I was just reading this week a story. I was telling about uh, being going to a restaurant with some friends, and he said as soon as we walked in, we could tell the service was going to be bad. You could just sense this tension in the room of the, all the people that were there grumbling, complaining. He said, we sat down at the table and the guy next to us says, good luck getting any food today. So that was a bad omen. He said, I've been here an hour and I haven't eaten yet. And all the, you could hear all this grumbling around. And the, the waitress came over and said, can I get you something to drink? And it took 15 or 20 minutes just to get a couple of Diet Cokes and a couple of waters. And, and they realized that there was one waitress running all the whole room. And it was a pretty good-sized room. And one guy said, I think she's a cook, too. It's taking so long. And all these people grumbling, complaining at her and yelling at her and demanding from her. And you could just see the pressure mounting on this young woman trying to meet all of these needs. He said, we at our table, we were joining in with everybody else. We were giving her a bad time. We were lamenting. You know, we were trying to be more subtle about it. We were rolling our eyes and sighing and those kinds of things. But we were just as bad, except for one of us. The one guy in our group looked, said to us, look, you see the guy standing over there? He said, I think, that's the, I think that's the restaurant manager. And we looked over, he said, and there was this pretty big guy leaning against the, the counter watching ESPN on television. And a friend said, I've been watching him. He's been standing there like that for half an hour. Well, all this chaos is going on. The next time the waitress came near the table, he, he said to her, uh, Hey, Rachel, was that surprised her? Because no one in the room was calling her by her first name. They were calling her all kinds of other things, but they weren't calling her by her first name. And she turned and said, Yeah. He said, I said, Is that your boss over there? She says, "Yeah, I'm sorry." She says, "I can understand why you want to talk with him. Let me go get him for you." He goes, "No, no, no. I don't want to talk to him." He said, and "Rachel, you don't need to. You don't need to be sorry." He said, "I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that he hasn't done anything to help you. I'm sorry that you've had to put up with our whining and complaining in a very difficult situation you've been put into. I just want you to know I'm sorry." I just wanted to tell you that. He said she inhaled and exhaled, and he said it felt like a hundred pounds of emotional weight fell off of her. And she looked at them and said, thank you. He said, I got the feeling she walked away sort of like a pardoned prisoner. Little things. Seeing people. And we say, well, anybody can do that. And it's true. There are lots of people who care about justice. There are lots of people who are merciful that don't have anything to do with God. And, and that's true. But Micah is saying to us, that's those people. I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to God's people. Because here's the thing. Whatever they do, great. If they're doing good things in the world, that's wonderful. But here's what you need to understand. If you're God's people, this is what you do. If you are God's people, this is how you live. This is your perspective. This is your attitude. This is the kind of presence you bring to the world. And the question really is, and John poses this question in a little different way in his first epistle, is if you don't care about these things, then you really need to examine your relationship with God. Because this is the nature of the kingdom. And this is our calling to live out the the nature of the kingdom, to be the embodiment of the kingdom. And God's kingdom is all about creating a spirit of hope, an atmosphere of beauty and love and, and grace and mercy and justice in our world that is yearning for it. This is what God's people do. And what sets us apart from the other people is that we don't do this in our own power. We don't do this in our own strength. We don't just work harder because we have to remember the last thing that he says there in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And that's our calling. It's fascinating to me how many times walking is mentioned in the Scriptures. Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden. Enoch walks with God. Noah walks with God. Abraham walks with God. All these people who, they walk with God. It's a way of describing their relationship with God. There is this walking nature to it. And I get the feeling when I read about that is that it really doesn't have all that much to do with the destination. It's the journey. It's the the actual act of walking with God that matters. When Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden, I don't know that... I don't get the feeling that they that God says, "All right, let's let's go see something today." They might have, but it's really about the walk. When God calls Abraham, He says, "Abraham, I want you to walk with me." Abraham says, "Fine. Where do you want me to go?" He says, "That's my problem. You don't worry about that. You just walk with me," and he does. He says, "I'll tell you when we get there." And I think sometimes we are so enamored with the destination that we miss. We miss the joy of the journey. We get so enamored with where we're going and trying to get there. And, if, you know, if you're like me on a trip, I mean, I, I want to get there as quick as possible. I want to know the straightest, fastest way. And we create, you know, Google Maps and all these things that will tell us this is the fastest way. I'm not sure if you can say to it, give me the most scenic way. It's all about what's quickest. It's all about what's Fastest. And that's how we tend to live our lives. That's how we tend to think about our journey with God. How can I get there faster? I just think about the destination. And all the while, we are walking past hurting needy people on the journey. Because here's the thing. When you focus on the destination primarily, you rarely, you you see doing justice and loving mercy as almost, almost, A waste of time. Almost. I don't have time for this. I've got things to do. I've got places to go. I've got to get to the destination. And it's not that the destination is insignificant or unimportant. But the call is to walk with God. The call is the journey. And it is significant that Micah says... How we walk with God is, is humbly. We walk humbly with God, and that means we walk, surrender to Him. Humble walking means He sets the pace. He chooses the path. When He says stop, we stop. He says go, we go. He says turn right, we go right. Left, we go left. All of all of the, the journey... The details of the journey are his. We are simply surrendering ourselves to his direction. When we're, when we're infatuated with the journey, we, what we often do is we run ahead of God. All the while he's saying, no, no, just stay here with me. But We're going too slow. Slow, fast, that's not the point. You walk with me. And while we're walking, there are some people I want you to touch. There are some lives I want you to interact with. There, there is mercy and justice that I want you to reveal to people. Uh, and if you're running past me, you're going to miss it. And what we don't understand is that while surrendering to him, walking humbly with him, feels like we're sacrificing. What we're really doing is gaining because what do we do? We get to walk with God. We get to walk with God. God. And so we see in Matthew 4, when Jesus is calling his disciples, his question for them is not believe in me, it's follow me. Dennis Kinlaw says there rarely, really are very rarely, very rare times when Jesus says someone believe in me. But over and over again, he's saying to people, follow me. Walk with me. Take this journey with me. Trust me. Surrender to me. And we can do that because we know the God we're walking with. We know the God we're surrendered to. I and mean, this is the God who Micah describes in the very last few verses. And he says, he begins verse, chapter 7, verse 18, by saying, where's another God like you? And I would have expected the answer to that would be, where's another God like you who is great in power? Where's another God like you who knows everything? Where's another God like you who is holy and righteous, unlike anybody else? Because all those things are true. But in this instance, in this moment, Micah says, Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? Overlooking the sins of his special people. He doesn't stay angry with you forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. This word we talked about last week, chesed, which, by the way, is the same word used when he says love, mercy. Love, chesed. And once again, you have compassion on us. You trample our sins under your feet. You throw them in the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors. This is the kind of God we are following. This is the kind of God we're surrendering to. This is the God of whom we are his people. And this is the God who earlier in Micah's prophecy says, the day is coming when a baby is going to be born in Bethlehem and it's going to change everything. And that baby is going to come and he's going to be a ruler, but his rule will be peace and security and shalom. This is our God. The God who wants relationship with us. And the God who wants to change us and transform us so that we actually bear witness to who he is. Because when you boil it down, to be God's people is to look like God. To bear the image of God. To think like he thinks, to see like he sees, to talk like he talks, to have the priorities that are his priorities. This is what it means to be his people. And when we do that, People notice. And when we reflect the nature of God, not because we are so awesome or because we've worked that much harder, but because we have surrendered, we've submitted, we are walking humbly with him, we get changed. And when we get changed, people we encounter sense the change. And God is revealed to them. And people throughout the world get the opportunity to walk with God too. It fascinates me that Micah's name means who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? people who walk humbly with God the people who surrender to God the people who have opened their lives to God and been transformed by his spirit Father thank you for the great privilege of knowing you and being known by you, of walking with you. Give us grace to walk so humbly with you, surrender to you, that we become people who are known for creating justice and being passionate about mercy just like you are. Forgive us when we fall short. Continue to shape us into your image through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.